to episode one of the Rissington podcast. Comedy Dogger 4, Rising More Slowly. Hello and welcome to episode one. Congratulations for making it this far. My name is John Hicks and my colleague, John Oxton. Hello. Hello. Before we get to listeners' questions, we must just point out and apologise for the slight crackliness um, throughout the podcast. Um, this was due to uh, sweet wrappers um, strewn across the floor. Um, we fear this won't happen again next week, but um, we'll have to put up with it this week. Our sincere apologies. And now, listeners' questions. So we're a little bit more prepared this week. We've had a quick look at the questions. But we haven't really written down our answers. No, so it's a little bit slicker. What we want to, to pick up again, we've had a, an email this morning from Seb Nierman. I hope that's pronounced right. And it's talking about last time's featured font, which was Mostra. And he agrees, yes, it's lovely. However, I feel compelled to elucidate that it was the vehicle typeface used during the fascist period. The said buildings that it appears on in Rome, the Milan, and Florence's train stations were all built during those turbulent years. So if you're a designer, beware that it may touch a few nerves in the wrong context. Very good point. And I must admit, I didn't know this. I thought it was just um, based on um, posters. I'd seen very, very similar posters to this. Um, but yes, I hadn't really uh, connected that to the fascist period. So thank you, Seb, for that warning, because that's the kind of thing that you would do later and then find out... You've upset your you've Italian up, client. You've upset, <laughs> upset an entire country. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm going to try for that a little later. Yes. <laughs> but maybe not Italy. This is from Ian Farrell. Would you say that's the correct pronunciation? I would say Farrell. Farrell? Okay, sorry. And he is the project manager of Moo.com, who makes splendid little cards. <coughs> Sponsorship. Yes, <coughs> free cards. <coughs> His question is, the most extravagant geekery I've ever bought was a white eye book back in 2001 for over £1,000 whilst I was at university and couldn't really afford it. What's the most extravagant thing you've bought and did you explain it away to your friends as a business purchase when you're never in your heart of hearts? But it's not really anything more than what you just wanted. <laughs> Do you, do you have such a thing? I, when I went to New York last year, I was just too close to the Apple shop. I have <laughs> many, many. I have an external hard drive that I bought called an iPod. Um, did you back up the tractor and say, fill her up, boys? <laughs> <laughs> fill her up, I've got many dollars. <laughs> and a camera. And, yeah, I managed to persuade the missus that uh, all necessary uh, business purchases. But well, that's not very extravagant, really. Well, yeah. Um, do you remember a few years ago, the Enigma machine went missing. <laughs> that you thought, yes. It was it was it was stolen to order and it was my most expensive purchase I've ever made. And you had to give it back. I had to give it back. Uh, so I I lost out both ways actually. I mean thousands that cost me. And and no I couldn't do it as a business purchase. I did try and put it down as a software. But you can get it to run OS 10. No. Or you know I think Linux actually it worked <laughs> Linux. Yeah Linux fine. runs on anything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That is the problem, though, since I've moved to Mac. You always seem to be updating your machines constantly. I think owning a Mac is quite an extravagant... Absolutely, yes. And I think the next extravagant purchase may well be an iPhone. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm working on a 24-inch iMac as we speak, but Apple financing and having it go, no, don't want to give it to you. <laughs> That's a story for another day. Good one. Let's go for this one. Oh, yes. Rob Mason. 
Have you found the underground hospital yet? And if so, are the nurses still there? <laughs> well, we, we had this question six days ago. Yeah, and we would have said, no, it's no. a myth. Yeah, but until yesterday. Exactly. When DVD Steve came <laughs> over. DVD Steve, we should explain, <laughs> is we... Um, you, want, you should tell this story, actually, because it's from the last podcast. It is, actually, yeah. So, um, back in May, I was approached by uh, a guy who uh, works locally, who owns the domain name dvd.co.uk, and runs a DVD selling business through that. Um, I was too busy um, to, to be able to sort of fit the work in, in the time. Um, so, after last week, when I said 98% of all email inquiries lead to nothing, <laughs> I was very irate email saying, oh, I'm one of those buggers. <laughs> um, but actually, what I meant was to clear that up um, is 98% lead to absolutely nothing at all, as in, I never hear back from the people um, involved. So, um, he wasn't included in one of those. So, anyway, so yeah, so DVD Steve, first time we met him, pops up to the office yesterday, dangling a little silver key saying, who wants to come and see the underground bunker then? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so a, a slightly scary experience, and we've got some Flickr photos. Yeah, of, and I've put some on the podcast as well. But it, it's it's real. It's there. It's it's real. It's, but it's not underground. Well, it's under earth. It's definitely a lawn yes. growing up. It, it there so. is. Yeah, it's been covered in turf and earth, and too. it is very spooky in there. And it is supposedly mm. to withstand the nuclear attack. Mm. As my, as my wife said, <laughs> I'd take my chances with the nuclear attack. <laughs> um, but one thing that the, the photos don't really show on Flickr is that it was, it's, dark. It was pitch black, mm. wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, Steve brought along a, a torch. A little maglite, which... Yeah, keyring maglite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was, you know... It was, I think the most spooky thing for me was the racks of beds. With, uh, with the matches missing, yeah. but they were still there. Yeah. So it, was like, it was actually like... It was like being in a shipwreck, wasn't it? Yeah, it was... Uh, and it was good. You know, that that smell of, of death. Mm, yeah, and the, the old medicine cabinet was still there, mm. just all a bit knackered. Like a bomb might have gone off, actually. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, yes, we've, it's, it's real, we've seen it, we've been in it, and I never want to go in again. <laughs> <laughs> we have one here from Roy Perez. Yeah, I'm sorry if I got that wrong. Dear John and John, I have to say I'm what you call a heavy novice when it comes to design. <laughs> And you two are a great inspiration. Which, he's going to go on to contradict himself a bit here, I think. First, I have a question for Oxton. I got introduced to, you, introduced to your work through your blog, you know, Bus Full of Hippies, but I haven't ever seen anything else you've made. Is there something else which you can show which you're proud of? That's a difficult question, because for the last two and a half years, I've been coding, basically, and working on stuff that has either vanished into the, into the night or has never been launched, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, so I think I, you know, Live.io, maybe one day it'll launch. Maybe big project, lots of things going on besides the interface. But I'm proud of that because it was a design you did, and I think I think I rendered it relatively well. That was lovely so, actually because it was the, my first chance to concentrate on the design and not have to worry about mm. markup and coding. Yeah, um, quite liberating. Really. And I actually enjoyed the challenge of. You bastards going, design this, what? <laughs> yeah. That's not possible. Yeah. <laughs> so so it's, it is difficult. I mean, most, for that, from that point of view, most of my work that I've done is, um, you know, a couple of years old now, really. So there's, mm. I don't really, there's nothing current. And some of that is still under NDA as well. So it, it's, yeah. it's very hard to actually... Yeah. Well, 
something like rojo.com, I worked there for a number of months, and the biggest thing I did there was turn them from fixed width layout to fluid layout. Great. But there is no evidence of what I've done now because they've redesigned. So, mm. But I was proud of that. You know, yeah. It was a consultation. It's like, let's do it. Let's go from fixed. So, so yeah, unfortunately, because I'm not a logo designer and an icon designer, it gets a bit awkward. It's not as... It's instantly noticeable, is it? It's very difficult to say, oh, I fucking love that bit of HTML I did there. <laughs> yeah. Genius. Ooh, <laughs> super clean. Yeah. Super semantic. So. <laughs> when making a website, I find I spend 90% of my time trying to get the design to work in multiple browsers, rather than design, which is the fun part. Uh-huh. Is there a technique you can recommend to improve this? Would you use some sort of ready-made framework, or would you use so-called Internet Explorer hacks? In quotes. Mm. Well, I've always said that Microsoft are the people who have allowed me to charge as much as I do for what I do because, <laughs> you know, that's that is the job of web standards. That yeah, is making it work, and it's it's not it's not our fault that Internet Explorer doesn't really follow along. No. Um, I mean, we give Internet Explorer a hard time, but Safari is, um, can be a little problematic too. Yeah, but less. So. Not, yeah, less so, but yeah. <laughs> so, what about you, John? I mean, I don't. Well. Um, one of the things I find is a real useful hack. Um, if you ask a lot of designers, they'll have different ideas about what, what things are good and what things are bad. And mm. um, I like to use conditional comments yeah, targeted at IE6 and IE7. Yeah, on a shared one if it's big enough. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that you can separate off the, the fixes for those browsers. Mm -hmm. And in particular, the one I use a lot is uh, div. Zoom one, mm -hmm. yeah. because one of the biggest problems with Internet Explorer six is that by default uh, divs don't have what they call has layout. Mm -hmm. um, so every time you're doing lots of things with divs, um, especially with like rounded boxes and nested divs, it, Internet Explorer doesn't know what to do. So just by putting uh, div zoom one, um, it doesn't change anything presentationally, mm -hmm. but it makes Internet Explorer have layout for divs. And it suddenly starts behaving. Uh, yeah, and suddenly a lot of things start. It's amazing how much it works. Cures, actually. If we yeah. known that earlier on, in the mm. <laughs> things may not have been so bad. But what I would say is don't be tempted to use the uh, star selector to apply it to everything. Mm. It's pretty hardcore. You, get, you start getting problems. Yeah. Um, the other one, I think, is uh, using position relative if the stacking order isn't showing as it should be. Mm -hmm. Uh, but the other thing to say is that it does get easier as you you start to learn what's what's not right, and you find yourself suddenly looking into Internet Explorer going, God, it's worked. Yeah. Because you sort of understand the problems it has. Yeah. I think after a few years, you, I mean, I know you, John, but I developed for Firefox Stroke Safari mm -hmm. initially. Yeah. And then test and work it out in Internet Explorer. Yeah. So you, you know, do it for a decent browser first. And I think you have to make that clear to your clients as well. Mm. If you're developing, especially for doing some, I mean, when we were developing the live AI UI, there was very much a phase of, well, let's do the good browsers first, yeah. we'll deal with IE afterwards. Yeah, um, exactly. And you, you, you do get it. I mean, I remember three years ago being the person that was staying up all night just mm -hmm. to fix Internet Explorer. Mm. But the more you do it, the more you remember, oh yes, I know that IE's got a problem with I was, this. I was going to say, IE is very much a case of just knowing. It's not, okay. you don't, it's not necessarily a case of even understanding why. It's you feel it. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs>
In your ass, basically. Yeah. <laughs> in your in your eyelids. That's where the pain is. Yeah. <laughs> the only other point I want to touch on this question was um, frameworks. Oh, I, mean, I yeah. generally am very, very dismissive of frameworks because unless you're already an expert in, in the language, like a JavaScript framework, for instance. Yeah. And the same with that. Um, what's the framework called? Blueprint. Yes. I mean, I love the idea of it, and I will probably happily use it to experiment with because I feel I understand enough about CSS. Yes. But I don't yeah. recommend it for beginners. Are you? It's, yeah. Because how do you get to a full understanding of CSS yeah. if you're taking shortcuts? Exactly. So you need to go through exactly. the pain. I think. I think. I think. I too. It's a good idea. <laughs> <yeah. laughs> but I think it's a good idea to, if you can to come up with your own frameworks. Hmm. Um, yeah, definitely you know, within your company. Having your own understanding of code, I mean, yeah. I certainly do that. Set your own um, standards. Quite similar to, to Blueprint in the way that, um, you know, the way it sets out the grid structure. Mm. But it's the way that I understand, because I created it. Yeah, so, I th yeah, I think it's good to use frameworks for inspiration. Mm. Yeah. Use them with caution. So in that sense, you know, look out for reusable code mm. and make the most of it. Yeah, but make your own. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Right. One here from Andy Clark. Neat rings a bell, that. No. Yeah, no. no. Dodgy bugger. If you invented a time machine, would you go forwards or backwards in oh, time? Both. Well, yes, but if you invented a time machine, I mean, go surely, way I like. surely you had the option to do both. <laughs> if, if I didn't have the option, probably, I don't know, backwards. Yeah, yeah I think I, backwards. I think the future scares me quite honestly. Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't like to look into the future and see. Well, what if you go forwards into the future and find yourself not there? That's going to be not good, yeah, is it? Yeah, exactly. especially if you go forward a day. It's like, yeah. Oh, that's not good. Although, in some ways, I would like to go into the future and just see what happens with technology. Mm. I would, and see if you get rich or not. Just ten, <laughs> just ten years. Yeah. Think, you know. See how loaded I am. See if we're all just connected to a big matrix yet, or you know. it's also you know if you go backwards, can you change anything anyway? If not, then probably not. Probably would wouldn't want to go either way in that case. But if you went backwards, where would you go? Um, well, I'd go back and have a little talk with myself at school and say, Look, just just go through, just do this, okay, and yeah. get your shit together, okay. <laughs> you won't have to go through all that crap we could. Yeah. So, yeah, probably have a little word with myself there. Yeah. Not that I'd listen. <laughs> That's interesting, yeah. I think I'd put in, in that sense, I'd probably go back to, what would it be, about 1982. Mm. And just before I get in the swimming pool in front of the school, I would just say, listen, your trunks might not be the <laughs> tightest fit. So just be yeah. careful when you yeah. get out of the pool, okay? Oh dear. <laughs> I wasn't scared for life, honest. <laughs> Mentally. But a few people were. Yeah. Okay. Well, I would. I would love to. Go, I would love to go back to various points in history. I think just about mm. everything and just watch it. If I could watch it and not be hurt by it. If it was, yeah. If it was, uh, if it was going to be not dealing with myself, then yeah, I'd probably go back to Henry VIII and um, Elizabeth I. Quite oh, interesting yeah. periods mm. in in British history. Would you go back and try and stop anybody? Uh, I don't understand enough about it to stop it. I don't think I just you know, just watch. Yeah, it's difficult. Come isn't out, it? Write a really good book. Make a video. <laughs> yeah. Write a theme tune. Sing the theme tune. Make <laughs> a theme call. <laughs> who and the second part of this question is who would be your ideal travelling companion? Well, I'd say a bloody good historian, and I'd probably pick old um, Dan Cruikshank. Yes, he's a great. He's, yeah. he's around the world in eighty treasures and all that stuff, and house detectives. He's just yeah. a fantastic, really sort of interesting person. 
if I was going back in time, I'd like to take either Mick Aston or Phil from Time Team. <laughs> Actually, Phil from Time Team would be yeah. great because he'd be just pointing at everything. I can't Let's rub your old tack off. <laughs> oh, is it go with the big hat? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> and the third part of the question is do you think that interspecies relationships will ever be acceptable now being a Welshman and saying that I was going to upset a whole country? I already thought it was. <laughs> So, yeah, I think, I think you know, give it a few more years, yeah. I think it'll happen, won't it? You English are way behind. Meh. <laughs> 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 right. Dr. Steve. Oh, guys, return of the unpronounceables this week. Fleischer. Fleischer. Yeah. I recently used a nice blue stilton on a site, but the client complained he could only see a plain cheddar. Oh. Could the panel comment on the use of websafe cheese. Oh, what, what, a, what a beginner's mistake. The, the, the trick is really to talk to your client. Yeah. If the client wants Blue Stilton, you have to explain that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, from, well, first of all, you need to find out what kind of cheese board your, your client's got, because that's going to you know, yeah. direct a lot of things, isn't it? But, um, yeah, I mean, steer, steer clear of any blue cheeses. Mm. Uh, they only kind of work in... In very modern, you know, uh, experimental browsers, I think, really. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you are a smelly one that's going to work, go for Stinking Bishop, I'd say. Yeah, but again, Stinking Bishop support in IE6 is really bad. <laughs> so, yes. I think, I mean, obviously, you know, you saw a cheddar, so that's plain cheddars and red Leicesters and dumb Gloucesters there. Right! Stop this, silliness! <laughs> <laughs> but the man's got to know the answer, but damn it! <laughs> so, yeah, I mean... You know, in a few years' time, we'll be able to branch out, but at the moment... Stick with your cheddar, mate. Stick with your cheddar. Tesco's own plastic cheddar. Uh, but that does mean that you can... I don't know, you can actually have mature cheddars. You can, then? Decent, uh, unpasteurised cheddars, uh, but, yeah, stay clear of the blue. Thanks, Dr. Steve. This one's from Luke Dorney, who you had the pleasure of meeting not I so did. long ago. Yeah, lovely, up, lovely um, bloke. Unfortunately, my schedule meant I couldn't, yeah. couldn't attend. Yeah, we like Luke. And I'm hoping he'll send me as one of his nice moleskins as well. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Dear Johnnies, will there ever be a Top Gear style live video podcast where you have an equally engaging Steadicam show, show with scantily clad groupies and World of Warcraft geeks hanging out so you can review, of all things, your typeface of the month? I'd love to operate the smoking machine backstage if and you do something like this. <laughs> What a great idea. It is. Well, we are in talks with the BBC and DVD Steve at this moment, so mm-hmm. who knows? Yes, DVD Steve will release the, the video and lead people to a secret dark underground bunker. Mm. And that would be the place oh, to do it. We're not supposed to reveal that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yes, the TV. TV, yeah. I like the idea of the World of Warcraft geeks because they, they could be there to make me look good. <laughs> <laughs> you think I'm, <laughs> you think I'm unmarriable? <laughs> Look at them. Check out that motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> he ugly! <laughs> yeah, that'd be good. But yes, yeah. we're working on it. Yeah. This one is from Andrew Rickman. Uh, excellent job on the first show, chaps. Looking forward to more. Well, cool. Thank you. Thank you very much. And here it is. I'd like to know what you consider to be the most useful framework scripts or generally helpful libraries out there. Well, ah, I think we've we covered that, we've one, we? that one. We've answered that one, I'd like to quote Jeremy Keith, if I may. May I do that? Yeah. No, thank you. Um, no, I forgot what you said now. <laughs> no, he said, um, I prefer to cook for myself yeah. rather than go to Absolutely. McDonald's. I think 
Yeah, I think that sums up libraries and frameworks, doesn't it? I think they can be inspirational. And have yes. A, have a, by all means, have a look at them. But mm -hmm. I mean, there's no doubting that you know we were talking about. I needed a very simple show hide script the other day, and you pointed me in a direction of something. Yeah, there? that's kind of a one-off script there rather than mm. a library or a. Yeah, yeah, whereas yeah, like the Moo tools perhaps yeah. would have been overkill for what I wanted to do. Yeah. And besides, I've, I, I don't know how to use Moo tools. So I tried. It's just like Jesus. I might as well just learn how to write it myself. Yeah, so. exactly. So you know, yeah, we can a few. So um, we don't really consider. Yeah, them. We, we, yeah, I, I wouldn't recommend anything at the moment. No, no. hire an expert. This one is from Duncan Smith. Thank you, Duncan, for having a pronounceable name. <laughs> I think he's in school in Dorset, you know. Uh, yeah, I'd say so. Shouldn't really be listening to this, and if you're still in school, should you? No. I've been playing around with web design for a few years and tried a variety of software tools. I've always been interested to learn about the key tools other people use and the workflow they try to follow designing a site. I'd love to hear what your basic setup and workflow is. Okay, well, that's, that's probably enough. It goes on a little bit more, but that's mm -hmm. probably a cue for. Well, you start on that one, John, because I always think your workflow is perhaps <laughs> a little more organised than mine. <laughs> or it seems to be. <laughs> workflow used to be involved lots of different things, but now it just involves fireworks and coder. Mm. Um, occasional bit of illustrator, but more and more since coder came out, um, I find I'm often you know, sketching ideas out and um, you know, formalising ideas on paper, but then more or less going straight into coder. And I found it so fast for writing a, mm. a HTML and CSS. Um, and there are some things that you can't show in a static mockup, particularly if you're doing a fluid layout, mm. that sometimes you just got to leap straight into the code and try it and see yeah. if it works. I think if you are building fluid layouts, it's because mm. it's impossible to say when a client says, well, can you not work? Yeah, but it's going to be fluid, so it's mm. not going to work that way. Because so. I think the, the big drawback with using anything like Fireworks or Illustrator for mm. styling text is that it's a big process mm. to put dummy text in, style it, mm. and make it look like it would do on a website. Well, yeah, and then you forget to render it as it would on Windows, and you hand it over to the client, and they're like, mm. oh, that looks... And it's, yeah, it's a, doing it straight into HTML. Mm. I, I used to I hate the idea of this, but now it's my, my main tool. Yeah. That's how I, do it. I know um, Andrew Clark does that method, uses mm. that method quite extensively as well, prototypes in HTML, CSS, and if necessary, also abandon that and start fresh once you've got to the point where, mm. you know, okay, we know what we're doing now. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I kind of agree with that. I've, I'm, I'm not a sketcher for some reason. I used to be, but I kind of have given up sketching. I tend to do, I use Fireworks, mm -hmm. TextMate, Cyberduck, and Terminal. Um, that's me, really. But I tend to sort of go halfway in Fireworks just to get any of the graphics and then start building. So it's never, I never have a complete design in fireworks. Mm. So. Yeah, I think that there's, there's still a gap in the market for a really good WYSIWYG tool mm. that, you know, like Dreamweaver, but you know, from the get-go really does give you good code. Yeah, well, that would be you know, things like, <laughs> well, you know, I hope it never comes. <laughs> things like being, you know, if you had something that automatically worked out the baseline rhythm yeah. for your text for you. Yeah. And you, but you could adjust that height visually. Mm. I think that'd be fantastic. Mm. Yeah. In terms of workflow, I suppose that that question is, you know, starting the project, finishing the project. You know, right, work, work. <laughs> 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 
And it depends, well, yeah, it's a difficult question to answer because it also depends who you're working with. Mm. When it's a one-man show, small brochure website, it's usually do the design, build the website, yeah. job done. If you're working with a big team of people, it, it's up to them how the workflow goes. Yeah, do you just need a wireframing and mm. grey box? I'm a big fan of grey box layouts. Yeah, grey box layouts, yeah. very, very good. So, is that another non-answer do you think we've managed to pull off? Yay! <laughs> we're crap! <laughs> We don't know what we're doing, we're just making this shit up as we go along. Yeah. Well, that's it for questions. So Thank um, you very much I think for your questions. It's worth saying we have, uh, we've, yeah, thank you to everybody actually for sending. We had about, we had about 30 or 40 questions, so yeah, we've, got, we've got enough for another show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if, you, if a question wasn't answered, then... Uh, it, it doesn't mean it, it won't be. Yeah, it might still be answered. Um, Kev Adson, Adamson, your mm-hmm. question will not be answered. <laughs> yeah. You're filthy boy. <laughs> Don't come round here again, or we'll set the dogs on you. Um, but yeah, please keep sending your questions, because uh, as we worked out last week, this podcast stops when the questions stop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we'll know when it's time to stop. It's, it's up to you whether it lives or dies. It was. <laughs> anyway, here it is, this week's joke. What does that say? Urk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Urk. Urk. Is that a name? This must be a shorthand for something. Yeah, maybe Eric. Eric, is that ice cream pure? Waitress, as pure as the girl of your dreams, Airman. Eric, give me a ham sandwich. <laughs> They're not any better when you understand them. This week's featured font is Underground Pro by the Font Foundry P22. A few years ago, P22 released London Underground, which was a faithful reproduction of the original Underground typeface created by Edward Johnston back in 1916. This is the typeface that I use currently on my site, and it's also the Rissington Podcast typeface, so it only seemed worthy to be included this week. But recently, P22 have done a massive undertaking. They've reworked the original London Underground typeface, which just had regular and bold weights, into this huge multi-weight open type family, which includes Greek and Cyrillic letters. Now, if you're not familiar with open type, open type was introduced a few years ago as a cross-platform font format. So rather than the old problems of, oh, that's a Mac font or that's a PC font, and therefore I can't open it, open type solves all that, but also includes a possibility of many, many more glyphs than is possible with the traditional font formats, along with some very nice ligatures. So that's what P22 have done. They've taken London Underground and created Underground Pro, which is a gorgeous undertaking, and I can feel my bank balance draining at the very thought of this. 
Um, but I thought I would just tack on the end as quickly about uh, London Underground and Gill Sounds. Now, though these are both very similar typefaces, um, partly because Eric Gill, who created Gill Sands, was a student of Johnston's. But whereas Edward Johnston was a calligrapher, Eric Gill was a stonecutter. And this shows in the typefaces, and in particular if you look at the, the dot on the I and the J in Edward Johnston's underground, you'll see it's a diamond, just has a shape that you would get if you're using a, a calligraphy pen. Uh, whereas Eric Gill's is a square. And uh, there are other things to spot as well, such as the lowercase l, which is curled. Um, the numerals in Johnston are also things like the number three has a straight top. And these are sort of quite big giveaways. And I think, generally, I prefer Johnston's typeface. It has more character, it's more friendly, I think, than, than Gill Sands. So, the link's on the website for P22's latest Underground Pro. Go and have a look. Podcast, we present the outtakes. And now it's time for this week's feedback. <laughs> 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 How's it going, Mr. Hicks? <laughs> <laughs> All right? Are you getting there? <laughs> and now it's time for this week's featured font. Fucking hell! <laughs> I'm gonna have to edit that one in. <laughs> oh, lovely! Oh.